Welcome to Buy Sci-Fi Bite-Sized Finance. I'm Kelly Brothers. I'll be your host serving up some of the most succulent stories from our region about people, places, and things that impact our community and your financial well-being. I'm sure there will even be a few tasty surprises here and there when the recipe is right. Our goal is to have you learn, think, even laugh a little bit, all calorie-free. I know you'll enjoy what we're delivering right to your kitchen table or dining room or, sir, will you be eating in your car? Wherever you choose to listen. Welcome back to another edition of Bite Size Finance by Sci-Fi on KFBK every Sunday at 3 and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Our guest today, the one and only Mike Herrera, a favorite son from the great city of Stockton, California. A graduate of, did you go to Santa Clara, Mike? You did. I did. I did, yes. A graduate of Santa Clara, a man who then became a decorated official in the National Football League, who then went on to become a commentator with Fox Sports, talking about the rules, the regulations, the calls as they're made. And if all goes well, Mike, you're part of the dream team next year, aren't you? Yeah, you know, Kelly, I actually surprised the current crew, the crew that did the 49er Detroit game. I snuck into their hotel in Palo Alto while they were in their meeting. And a young lady from the front desk took me through the back of the hotel into the kitchen. And at a time, the one guy that knew that I was there said, knock on the door. And so I knocked on the door and he came and opened it up. And I had a pot of coffee in my hand. And I said, anybody need a refill? And, and these are the guys that have been so good to me, the Burkhart Olson crew. They were shocked. They were, they jumped out of their chair. Even the executives from Fox were there and they all came toward me and I had back surgery. And so I immediately told them, stop, stop, don't come any closer. And uh, they all stopped. And then I opened up my jacket and I had a sign made by John Drury here in Sacramento. It said, fragile, handle with care. And, and so then they all just, all of them gingerly gave me a hug. And it was so heartwarming. And, and I, it was something that I needed as I've been recovering from this surgery. And, and then when everybody was done, you know, expressing their feelings, the executive said, okay, what's your plan for next year? We want somebody next to Tom Brady the whole time. So are you prepared to go on the road with the A crew next year? And I said, well, you're paying me. So whatever you tell me I have to do, I'll do, depending on my back, how it holds up. But yep, I'll be a part of that back to the dream team next year. So Mike had done this for many years and he did have back surgery this year. And I must say he looks so much better than before. I know I know before the yeah. back surgery, you were in great pain, Mike. And so we are all thrilled to see you feeling healthy again. And should point out for those of you who may be picking this up on podcast form later on, we are recording this between the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. So Mike is referring to the game which happened last weekend between the Lions and San Francisco in Santa Clara and uh, was able to surprise his crew. And I mentioned the dream team because, of course, there's a little bit of controversy here. Greg Olson, who's an excellent analyst, I mean, could be described as a number one analyst on one of these networks. He will be stepping aside because 
they've signed the GOAT to a very long-term and lucrative contract, and he's coming on board. And that, that must be a, just slightly awkward, Mike, is it? Well, I think that we, we were talking about that, and this, of course, was Olsen's last game as it stands now. We were talking about that, how pretty much right now with Burkhardt and Olsen, we can go out to eat and it doesn't draw a lot of attention, you know, and it's it's rather easy to go through to where our sitting room is for dinner. It's not going to be that way next year. No, if Tom Brady walks into the to the restaurant, I think the focus of the restaurant just goes right into Tom Brady. But he, you know, our producer and director have already spent time with him. He is so committed to this. He has been to the studio in L.A. over the last few weeks watching games and pretending like they had a play-by-play guy and he was pretending like he was the color analyst. And so he's not like walking into it unprepared. That's not Tom Brady. He never played a game where he wasn't prepared, and he's not going to do this and be unprepared. I'm going to go to L.A. a little bit more toward the start of the season, probably around the 1st of August, and meet him there and talk about the rules and the nuances of officiating. So he gets a better grasp of that. But I just have to say that I agree with you. I think that Greg Olson is terrific. He brings an energy and a simplicity to the, to the game. He spoke at the end of our meeting in Palo Alto and he said, I'm a big boy. I knew this going in. I knew this was going to happen. And so don't feel sorry for me. And I've heard it said that he's going to go from 10 million to 3 million a year, which I feel sorry for him now. But he otherwise, he he's going to be the number one guy somewhere. I mean, and, and you know, we, who knows? Who knows how Tom Brady's going to work out? But he's just a quality guy who's done a quality job and he'll be fine. Well, it, I don't know, the rumored number of 10 years and 375 million, I think. Tom Brady will work out one way or another. You know, I mean, there's... there's. I was told, I, I mentioned that at the meeting about somebody said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my own contract here based <laughs> on Tom Brady getting 357 over 10. And there was a comment made, it's it's a little exaggerated. What a network would say, period, that it's a little exaggerated when you throw that number out. Have you missed it this year, Mike? Have you... Have you, have you I mean, I, I know you, I'm sure... You feel great relief that you feel better after the surgery and you're, I mean, you'll be back to being a scratch golfer in no time. What? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, have you missed it on Sundays? Have you gotten the itch? No, no, I haven't. What I was going through basically made doing it, even though right up to the very end, they were trying to figure out ways for me to do this because I didn't have the surgery until the 1st of November. So then they were trying to get me, well, come down here until then, or could we get a studio for you in Sacramento to do it? And I, I just finally gave up. I couldn't, I was in too much pain. I couldn't walk. And so because I knew I couldn't give it my best effort, I really kind of blocked it out of my mind a bit and became far more of a fan than I've been in, geez. I mean, when you think about the the 14 total seasons that I've been with Fox and then the 14 that I was in the NFL for 28 years, I mean, I was not a fan. I mean, I had a job and 
So that's what I focused on. And so this year, for the first time, I became a fan again. I did. And it was kind of fun to become a fan again and watch it without having to worry what I might say. If, if a Greg Olson said, Mike, what do you think? Try to not make myself look like a fool. I didn't have to do that. And I, I, I mean, I haven't, when you count my college years, I haven't been home on weekends during the fall for you go 28 plus another 20, let's see, I was in college football for 20 years. So you're talking about, my gosh, 48 years. I haven't been home in the fall. So it was nice. And you'll appreciate this, Kelly. I missed the hell out of Manhattan Beach where I, where I stay down there when I'm working down there. Now that I missed and I missed the restaurants there, but at least I'm happy to say that March 30th, I'll be back down there. So that, that's the part I missed. And that's because of spring football and the new, the new league and yeah. everything else. Correct. Mike is, was no fan of LA. He was not, Mike loves Sacramento. Mike loves being here. He has great friends. People love Mike. They see Mike. He, he and his wife are just, just great people. And, and I know that because I knew people who Mike treated incredibly well when he had no idea who they were. And, but, but, but Fox went out of their way to make Mike happy in LA. And that included an incredible place on Manhattan beach that I, I went to one of Mike's Fantastic charity golf tournaments. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, but, and I was probably overserved. I can't remember, but I, I, I purchased a few days at this place and it's just, I could, I can understand how Mike would like being there. This is just a beautiful spot. It is not what you picture when you think of LA and that's where Mike gets to live for a few months of the year. And I can see Mike, why you would miss that, that little slice of LA heaven, but we want to talk about how you got going, Mike. I want to talk about your beginnings and, and, you know, you know, to think that, you know, Mike Pereira at the age of 21 or 22 could never have even imagined, let alone aspired to be in the position you are today, to doing the job you are today, to rubbing elbows with the people you do today, including Tom Brady next year. I mean, you never could have even thought that would have happened. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a career or a job at that time. Right. I was like nowhere. I graduated from Santa Clara. I was a baseball player at, in college. A baseball and, uh, player. By the way, Mike, my apologies. Yeah, we never, have to take a break. We're going to pick this story up. But Mike, he's going to tell you this tale of how he got from there to the job he does today. Manhattan Beach to the booth at SoFi, sitting next to Tom Brady, calling the game of the week on Fox. It's a great story. And he's a great dude, and we're glad to have him on Buy Sci-Fi back after this. I'm Father Christopher Calderon. I serve as the president of Cristo Rey High School, a work-study school. As we partner with businesses all throughout Sacramento, we want to take a moment to hear from our students as they share their experience. Hi, my name's Alexia Lejo. My work-study sponsor is Bhutan Jones, and I like the environment that's in the firm and the people that I'm surrounded with. They treat me like family when I'm there. Thank you very much, Bhutan Jones. Thank you again to all our work-study sponsors for believing in and being a part of the work we do. Back on Bite Size Finance, by Sci-Fi, we're with Mike Pereira. He is the dean of officials in the booth, the man who, who will sit next to Tom Brady next year and Kevin Burkhart and the always lovely Aaron Andrews. 
Tom Rinaldi on occasion and call the game of the week for Fox and give his interpretation of how rules are interpreted on the field and why officials acted the way they did. Mike, great to have you. Let's go back. You grew up in Stockton. You go to Santa Clara. You're playing baseball. Then what happened? Well, I went up and played summer baseball in uh, Alaska and I played for a team in Anchorage called the Glacier Pilots. I started going. Actually, I went after my freshman year at Santa Clara. I played for a team, a summer baseball team in Oregon. And we went up to play four games against Fairbanks and four games against Anchorage, eight total games. I went absolutely hitless in eight games. I was a first baseman that could only bunt. That's the only thing I could do very well. But I went 0 for eight games, including the catcher for the Anchorage team was from Santa Clara, a kid named Jim Cavillia from Stockton. And he told me every pitch that was coming. And I still struck out and went hitless. <laughs> but somehow they, the coach invited me back up there after my sophomore year. And I played, really ended up playing four years up there of semi-pro baseball. Everybody else was really good. It was great. Great players from Arizona State, from the East Coast. And, and they all played one year and signed. I was never good enough, so I played four, which is why I still have a lot of records up there, including obviously most games played. And why you have a degree. But I, and that's right. And I have the degree. And then I was at Santa Clara my junior year, and a guy came to me and said, do you want to officiate football? I said, hell no, I don't want to officiate football. And he goes, why? I said, I don't, I don't have any appetite to, to officiate football. And he goes, well, why? I said, because I don't, I don't want to. And he goes, but your dad is an official. I said, I know. Maybe that's why I don't want to. I've seen him abused. And he said, it's only youth football, Pop Warner football. Games are in East Palo Alto. He said, it's $10 a game, three games on Sunday, $30. And as may be appropriate to the show, I didn't have any money. And so 30 bucks to me meant a lot. So I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. So I went to East Palo Alto to do these games on Sunday, my first Sunday, didn't hardly know the rules. I dressed with hand-me-down clothes from my dad. The game started, these little kids running around, parents yelling at me. I, I don't know, Kelly, I don't know how to describe it. I found my passion in life. Really, did you know it I that was day? on that field. I knew that day. I was always looking for something. And it was like, I was standing on that field and it was like somebody had a needle and it injected me with adrenaline. And I found my love of officiating right then. Wow. It was an aha moment. I never played football. My only involvement was as a 49er fan, quite frankly, and watching my dad work. But I never left it from that day on. From that day on, and did you wonder? Did you wonder, Mike? Local. Sorry, did you wonder mm-hmm. at that time when you had this aha moment? Did you wonder, is it football or is it officiating? And should I try out being an umpire in baseball since I know and love baseball so much? I, I that's really a question I haven't been asked, but I don't think I don't think it had. It didn't have anything to do with the game. I think it had to do with the spirit of fairness, that I was out there trying to adjudicate a game with kids and trying to make it fair for both teams. 
And I think that one of the innate abilities which you need to be a good officials, to be a good official, I kind of didn't hear the parents. I mean, they were, it was like, I was oblivious to that. I mean, my focus was on what was happening. And I imagine your question is, is put perfectly. I played baseball, so I couldn't, if, if that guy would have come to me and said, do you want to umpire baseball games? I would have said, no, I can't because I'm playing. If he'd have come to me and said, you want to do basketball? I might have, and maybe that would have been my love. I'm not sure, but I know, and this is a different topic, but I'll just segue to it a little bit. I always wanted to prove to my father that I was worthy of something, that I could be at the top of my game at something. And it wasn't, it wasn't as a player, it wasn't as a student, but I think the thing that hit me with the officiating thing was it felt so good to be out there with those kids to adjudicate fairness. But then I also think as I stepped back from it after the game was over and after a few games, I thought I found a way to beat my dad at his own game in, in officiating. And so then my goals began to head upwards and I kept thinking, okay, can I, how far can I go? You know, and then I did freshman, sophomore football, and then varsity football, then junior college football. And then I got into what's called the Big West Conference now, and then moved to the WAC, and then eventually to the NFL. But when you think about it, and this is not untypical of, a, of an official that gets into the NFL, I worked my first game. In, in, in officiating, I worked my first game in 1970 was my first game. And I didn't get into the NFL until 1996. So 26 years of experience before I actually stepped on the field thinking when I got all that way to the top, I can do this. And then finding out that it's not the same. It's not college football. It's not high school football. They're bigger. They're faster. They're smarter. There's more pressure. But it, I would have never in my life dreamed that I am where I am now. Mike, I'm struck by your comment about your father, and I've come to the conclusion that anyone who's had a father who played a very important role in their upbringing, like you and I were privileged to be, I don't think we ever stop trying to impress, surprise, or surpass what our dads thought we could do. I don't think we do. Yeah. Yeah, he, when I was in playing American Legion baseball, I think this set it off. When I was playing American Legion baseball in the summer, Lawrence Stadium, 106 degrees during the day, and I had my typical performance. I went 0 for 4, and, and I think I dropped two pop-ups or something like that. I was playing first base. After the game was over, I was so thirsty, I went to my dad and said, will you buy me a Coke? And his response was, you're not worth the quarter it takes to buy a Coke. <laughs> And at the time, I don't know, at the time it didn't really register because he didn't buy me a Coke. And, and then this became, it became part of my challenge in life. I actually wrote a book and it was about trying to prove to him that I was worth the quarter or the Coke it took to buy a Coke. And we had a great relationship, but I mean, he hurt me and you know, probably without sticking me with that stick, I might not be where I am now because maybe I wouldn't have, have, you know, kept this drive going to achieve more than he achieved as an official. 
He did, Mike. Mike, and and your path is unbelievable. Well, I want to pick up on on when you joined the NFL, but I got to ask you, Mike, when you were, you know, climbing the ladder for twenty six years. I mean, you're, you know, these are not jobs that you can make a living living off of usually on the way up. What what else did you do? What what else was your line of work to keep the mortgage current while you were while you while you were refereeing? I mean, there's a laundry list. I mean, I I. I Went through a health scare when I was young, and then I kind of dropped out of society and said, I'm not going to work. I'm going to be a nomad. I'm going to do this. And then I was a guy that my dad worked for, a car leasing company. My dad called me and said, you got to go to Stockton tomorrow to meet with Dean Went. He's the boss of this car leasing company. I said, I don't want, I'm, I don't want to work. Drove to Stockton. I drove to Stockton in a Volkswagen van. And over the Altamont, I barely made it. It was an old, it was from San Jose. I was in San Jose at the time. And I went there and he said, you're going to work. And he said, I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. You're going to work. Now go pick out any car that you want. And, and you drive it back to San Jose and tell your wife that you're going to be a car lease, leasing salesman. So I went in a beat up Volkswagen van that barely made it over the top, came back in a yellow Cadillac Coupe de Ville. Whoa. And, and I became a... I leased cars. Then I went into the golf business. I had a discount golf store in Stockton and we ran the pro shop at the Stockton Country Club. I did hotel reservations and group sales for the Delta King here in Sacramento. Had an embroidery company and silkscreen company. So I did a lot of things and made nothing really of them. And we can go to break when you think about the fact that in 1996, when I first got into the NFL, I didn't have a penny of savings. And my first check that ever went into saving, I was 46 years old. And it was the 10% of my check that I got for going to work in Miami for a game in Miami on my first game. It put, it put $1,600 into my bank account at age 46. And, then and before that, you didn't have two nickels to rub together. I didn't have two <laughs> I pretended like I did. I played like I yeah. did, but I didn't, uh, have, a, I didn't have a penny. Great. Saved. There's more to this story, and we're going to hear it. Mike Pereira is our guest today on Bite Size Finance, right here on KFBK every Sunday at 3 o'clock or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Kelly Brothers here for Cap Trust. We are fiduciaries. That's an interesting word. What does that mean? That means that legally we are obligated to put your best interests over our own. Non-fiduciaries don't have that same legal situation. They can sell you something as long as it's suitable, but they don't have to put you in the best thing for you over their best interest. In other words, they can't just sell you a nice annuity with a big fat commission for themselves even if it's not the best thing for you. We are fiduciaries. We are proud to be fiduciaries. And let me say something too about price. I am always shocked by the fact that I, there are people who I know will scour the internet for the cheapest flight or the cheapest ticket to a ball game, but they have no idea what they are paying for their advisor. We tell you upfront in black and white, here's what you're paying for what you're getting. Cap Trust here in Sacramento, Roseville, and Folsom. Do you have a financial plan for your pets? 
Protecting your loved ones, both two- and four-legged, is important, and the Sacramento SBCA can help. Join us for a complimentary estate planning seminar and learn how you can provide for your family and your pets while also creating a lifeline for animals in need. Visit sspca.org forward slash estate to view seminar dates and secure your spot for one of our upcoming virtual sessions. That's sspca.org forward slash estate. Hello, this is Will Gabry, and I am an advisor with CapTrust here in the Sacramento area. I'm a busy father of four, and life comes at us fast. As my 20th year of advising clients begin, I want to take a moment and reflect on why I'm thankful to have chosen this profession. Quite simply, I get to help people. I work with clients on wealth management, income, and taxes, to name a few. But even more importantly, I get to be part of great relationships. People often interact with an advisor during life events, and I've been with clients through difficulties and joyous times. Conversations, connections, and trust built mean more to me than anything else. Working at a nationwide firm like CapTrust gives me a team of professionals to assist in all aspects of financial advising. Being part of our local office means great care and service to our clients. If you would like to start a discussion and see how we can partner with you, you can find me at captrust.com. Look for Will Gabri, G-A-B-R-I. Thank you. Welcome back. Bite Size Finance by Sci-Fi, 3 o'clock on Sundays on KFBK or wherever you get your podcast. And if you ever want to drop me a suggestion of someone we should be talking to or topics we should be looking into, go to buy Sci-Fi Podcast, B-I-S-I-F-I Podcast at gmail.com. Our guest is Mike Pereira. And as we pick up the story, Mike is 46 years old. He doesn't have two nickels to rub together. And he gets a job with the NFL after 26 years of doing tiny, tiny mites football and high school football and college football. And Mike, when you, I mean, was the NFL, was that something you had to apply to? Or did someone just tap you on the shoulder one day and say, we think you're ready, friend? No, you applied. It was a standard procedure. You'd send in a letter and then they'd send you a standard response, which just says we've received it. And when you get your schedule, your college schedule, submit it to us. So I did it for like four years and some of my buddies were getting in that I worked with and I never got a sniff. And life is interesting, Kelly, we all know that. And it's a matter of timing. And for me, I was doing a college football game in Wyoming and we stayed in Denver and then you drive to Laramie. And so I'm doing this game and unbeknownst to me, the NFL had sent a scout, NFL officiating, had sent a scout to see somebody that was on my crew. I was the referee. They didn't come to see me. They saw to see this guy. And so we get back after the game from Laramie back into Denver at the hotel. And there's the NFL crew working the, the Bronco game the next day. And there is Jerry Seaman, who is the head of officiating. Well, I meet him. And unbeknownst to me, the guy that went and scouted the official came back and told Jerry, he's not, he's not worthy. He's not a guy you should have. But I don't know who the referee is, but you need to find out who that referee is because he's really good. The guy's name was Bama Glass, Alabama Glass. And so Jerry went back and looked it up and talked to Alabama. And then the next year I was in. I mean, so I got in because somebody saw me. He wasn't even there to see me. And it's just 
That's like how sometimes works in life. You know, the random things happen when you don't expect it. And that was the turnaround for me. That's kind of an Aaron Rodgers story, isn't it? Where someone went to scout his receiver and he was just throwing him the ball. And they said, no, but I like the way this guy throws the ball. So same for you. So you get into the NFL and how many years in the NFL? Two. Two years in the NFL. Two years. I did my first year, actually did my first year, and right after the season got married. And I I married Gail, and we were honeymooning down in Monterey, and I got a call from a headhunter, actually, who said that the NFL officiating department is going to expand their, their supervisory staff, and they wanted to interview 15 different people of different levels of experience and to see what they think about the officiating staff, the current one, what the teams think about it. And I'm going, I said to him, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I've only done one year. I don't know. And they said, well, that's what we still want to, we still want to interview you. And so they set up a long interview. This guy's name was Joe Bailey that came out to interview me and we had a great meeting. They cut the 15 down to six and they wanted a second meeting back in New York where you go through. They really never said it was a job, you know, whether they were looking for a person to fill a job. They never really said that. But when it was cut to six and then the six had to go back and interview with Paul Tagliabue, Roger Goodell. And this is we're talking 1997 now. It was the it was the early spring of 1997. So there's Goodell, Neil Austria, there was all the biggies. And you spent like an hour with each one. Then I fly back and I'm not even back for two days. And I get a call that they're offering me a job as a supervisor in New York. And they want me back into New York for in three months to move to New York from, from stock from Sacramento, actually, because I was here at the time. I said, I said, I thought about it and I said, I I worked for 24 years to get on the field. And now I'm going to get off the field and move into the league office with only one year of experience. So I said, no, finally, I said, no. And Joe Bailey called me and said, what is wrong with you? How are you turning down the NFL? And I said, I got parents that work for me. They're divorced. They depend on me and all that. I said, I just can't walk away from this. I can't do it. And then I got like the most, the greatest compliment I thought I could get from the NFL. They said, well, what would it take? Whoa. And I said, it's not, it's not about what I would take. It's not about what, you know, I said, it's just, and then they said, well, how about if we hold the position for a year, give you one more year on the field and you can then settle your business thing, your embroidery company. And I thought that was the greatest compliment I could get as a young official. So I said, yes. And then I went into the office um, after, after two years. And was there any fear, Mike, when you did that, that, you know, that fire that had been lit on you that first day refereeing a game that, that you would not no longer be adjudicating, you know, just between players on the field. Was that any concern to you or were you ready ready for a change? It was, it was the, the the two years that I was on the field, both of those years, I came out of the Western Athletic Conference and the commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference, Carl Benson, when I went into the NFL, even prior to being a supervisor for my first year at the WAC, he said, can you do both? 
And I said, can I do both? Can I work in the NFL and be the supervisor of the Western Athletic Conference football officiating program? And I said, sure, I can do both. And so I did for two years. So I worked with the coaches. I worked with the media. I trained the officials. I hired them. I fired them. I did all these things. And I found actually that I enjoyed that more than just the simple three hours being on the field. I enjoyed the administrative side. And so it wasn't an easy decision because I knew that my wife wasn't going to move back if I took the job, at least because I think I always kid her, but I think it's true. And so she won't admit it. She didn't move back because she was afraid this job was too much for me and that I was going to get fired and then I'd have to come home and she need to keep her job with Sacramento City Unified School District. Well, eventually she did move back. But the funny part, and again, it's financial thing, is that when I got the keys, when I finally became the head guy in 2001, I got the keys to all the file cabinets. So I went in and got my own personal file, which I know I wasn't supposed to do, but I did it anyway. And I called that headhunter and I called him a jerk, the guy that interviewed. And I said, you are an absolute jerk. And he said, what? And I, I said, you screwed me. And he said, what are you talking about? I wrote, read that report. I rec- I told them you were the one to, the, to take over for Jerry Seaman. I said that you were the guy. I said, yeah. Well, you also said Ed Hockley, who was one of the guys, is a lawyer in Phoenix. It'll take $500,000 to get him. Mike Carey has a ski equipment business in San Diego, of all places, but it'll take 600000 to get him. Pereira sells T-shirts. You can get him for cheap. That's what he said. That's what he said. So I swore at him, and then I said, that's why, that's why I got so much less money than they were thinking about offering Hockley or Carey. But, but, yeah, then it became, you know, a 12 years. I was on the field for two years and 12 in the office. You were 12 in the office living in New York City for the most part. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Are you the one who told the officials, hey, I need you guys to really hit the gym hard and wear tight-fitting shirts? Are you the one who came up with that rule? Unfortunately, I am the guy that was a real bugger about health yeah. and how you look. I, I don't feel that in that position – having to officiate those games, and I did it, I don't feel that you can do your best if you're not 100% healthy. Oh, yeah. You can't be on the field in Jacksonville thinking, oh, I'm hot and don't feel good. And you also, if you're going to go in front of 60,000 fans and all these high-powered coaches, you can't go on the field looking like a mess. I mean, you can't go on the field, you know, six-foot, 275 pounds. And um, so is there, a, is there I, a mandatory retirement age for officials? No. no. Okay. No, no, not. I mean, you've got several officials that are in their latter 60s, yeah. you know, and that's always the thing. You know, should you get rid of these 67 year old guys and bring in somebody that's 35? And, you know, football officiating, it's not like playing the game, it's not physical. It just isn't. It's mental. I mean, it's what you see and how you process what you see. So I'd rather have a guy that has great judgment, that is very good at processing that and making the calls that needs to be made, even though he's three steps slower than some 35-year-old who doesn't know the difference between the offside and and delay a game. So I, I never tried to push anybody out for their age. I let them make their decision on their own. And most of them are so prideful and at the time, when I first started, the money wasn't as it is now, but they were prideful and they knew when their game was 
starting to slip a little bit and would make their own decision. But they've been they've been turning over the last couple of years. They've been turning at least 10 officials a year out of a staff of like 125. So that's a pretty big number this year. I think it's going to be a little bit lower the turnover. But but they have they have gotten younger. But I don't think that makes them better, in my opinion. We are talking to Mike Pereira, and we got one more section left. We're going to talk with Mike about his transition from the league office in New York City to doing broadcasting for Fox Sports, how that came about. And we're going to talk about this incredible foundation he set up to honor veterans and also allow for an introduction into the sport that he loves in refereeing the sport that he loves. Mike Pereira is our guest on Bite Size Finance. I'm Father Christopher Calderon. I serve as the president of Christa Ray High School, a work-study school. As we partner with businesses all throughout Sacramento, we want to take a moment to hear from our students as they share their experience. My name is Ashley Heredia, and my sponsor is Sutter Health. I love working with them, specifically the pediatrics, and that's the department I work in. I like to see how the doctors interact with the babies and the work that MAs do. Thanks, Sutter Health, for the opportunity. Thank you again to all our work-study sponsors for believing in and being a part of the work we do. Back, Bite Size Finance, 3 o'clock on Sundays. Buy Sci-Fi Podcast at gmail.com if you want to drop a suggestion for an interview or a topic. Great guest today, Mike Pereira, a son of Sacramento and Stockton, who's gone to amazing heights, heights that he couldn't have even imagined when he began as an official, then quickly ushered up into the league offices to oversee officiating in the NFL during some very important years in the NFL. And then, Mike, so so you're there, you're in New York, you're working in the league office. Tell us about how TV came about. Well, quite honestly, I I saw too many people in the NFL as a hard job, and I had a hard job running that officiating program, but I saw too many people die on the job. And I don't mean they died on the job, but they died before they got to enjoy the fruits of their work. And, and so I made myself a decision that when I turned 60, I was going to go home. I wanted to spend more time with my dad and mom, who were both kind of beginning to ail. And, and I, I said to them, I said to the NFL, I'll, I want to retire. And I said, I'll work six months a year. I'll work six months of the year at something as long as I can have six months off, totally off. And and I'll work as hard as anybody wants for me to work for six months. And so they announced my retirement a year before I actually retired it. They, they, before I retired, they ordered it. They re- announced it during the, prior to the championship game, Jay Glazer announced it in the 2008 postseason. And I heard it. I watched them announce it. And I was like, it's weird. It's weird to hear somebody, you know, announcing that you're going to, quit. And I'm in the, in our command center. And so anyways, finally it was over. And then the game started and then the game started. And and I get a call that's from the two, one, three area code. Well, I know it's Fox and they call all the time. What was that call? Because at that time there was not a rules analyst. What was that call? So I'd explain it. So I pick up the phone, regular landline, pick up the phone and it's David Hill from Fox sports, who was the head of Fox sports period who brought the NFL to Fox in 1994. And he just said to me, you're not retiring. He said, you're coming to work for us. 
And I said, I am. And he said, you bet you are. We, I, I demand that our announcers know the rules. And so we, we've never had, we've had ex-quarterbacks, we've had ex-coaches, we've never had an ex-referee. You're coming to, our, coming to work for us. I said, well, it's not for over a year, you know. And they go, I know, but we'll do. So they planned this the minute that they found out. And so then immediately after the 09 season, they hired me and they they didn't know how they were going to use me. They thought it was going to be online, explaining the rules online, kind of rewriting the rule book to where fans could understand it. But at the last minute for the first game in the 2010 season, they said, let's put a camera on you just in case something happens. And um, so I was set up with a camera. And lo and behold, Detroit's playing Chicago in the first week and Calvin Johnson catches a pass in the end zone that's ruled incomplete. And everybody thinks it's a catch. And so it was a, they, they went to replay and then they came to me, Brian Billick and Tom Brenneman came to me. They put, they turned the camera on and they said, well, we got Mike Rarity now. What do you think? And I'm going, I was like, I, and I go, I go, well, the rule says that if you're going to the ground, you have to hold on to the ball when you hit the ground. And then there's something else. Says, well, Mike, again, he's got the ball. He's got a foot hits, a knee hits. And then his body swings around the ball. He's, he's already had control of the ball. And I'd say, I said, but, but the rule is, and finally, Billy got upset with me and said, well, what are they going to do? And now I have to project what they're going to do when I really am not sure. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, well, because of the rule, I think they're going to leave it incomplete. And Brian Billick, you heard him go, no way. And so then the referee, who's now a rules analyst, Gene Steratore, is under the hood. And he's looking at the play. And he finally comes out and says, after reviewing the play, my career is like dancing in front of my eyes. He said, the rule in the field stands. The pass is incomplete. Oh, my God. I mean, I almost fell out. of. I still get nervous thinking about it. And, and the execs came running in. Oh, my God, This you've hit a home run, a grand slam. That was fantastic. The league called the next day and said, your role is fantastic. It took all the all the, the anger off the officials and put it on the rule. This is great. So I was, like, feeling great. The end of Roger Goodell loved me. Everybody loved me. The next week, there was a pass interference called, and I went on and disagreed with it. The league changed their opinion of me after that. And now I got the phone calls that said, you're a jerk. You know, you, you could have said that was the right call. But but that's I started that. And, you know, and that was 14 years ago. Oh, it was. That's what's yeah. amazing to me. Mike, I got to ask you, you mentioned taking care of your parents. As you rose up and became an NFL official and then head of officiating in the NFL, how did that change your relationship with your dad? He came every year back to New York. First time he came, I had an apartment on the Upper East Side that was one bedroom that was 550 square feet. The smallest little non-studio, it was a one bedroom place. And when my dad came, he walked in, he said to me, he looked at me and he said, this place is so effing small that after you walk in, you gotta back out. <laughs> and, and that was his first trip. But he would come every year, sit in my office, during the season, it would be during the season, he would sit in my office, he got the New York Post and the New York Times. He would read, he would come back and watch us evaluate games. He would go out to dinner with me every night. We would go out to dinner and everybody said, oh my God, how does your 80 year old father do this? How can he keep up with you at night? And I said, go into my office, go in. So they go to my office and he'd be 
you'd sleep half the day in, in my office, but he was very proud of me and he was. And, and, and I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come back. And unfortunately he died three, three months after I came back and my mom died a little before I came back also. So I didn't, I didn't get to spend the, the time that I would have liked to have spent with him at the end, but I know that he was proud and I know that he's proud now too, because there wasn't a bigger 49er fan than him. So he's got his Niners back in the Super Bowl. So he'll be watching from the front row up there somewhere. I bet Mike, Hey, we can't let this end without asking you about battlefields to ball fields. Give us the, the story of how this came to be. This is, Mike's effort to connect returning veterans with the sport that he loves. Go ahead. You know, I was in L.A. and I met some homeless veterans. I mean, I was just taken by what little they had, what nothing they had. Living in a barracks, basically, that somebody had allowed them to sleep in. And then I started thinking about it over my, I take a drive to Oregon every summer and I was thinking about uh, thinking about them on the way up there. And then I was thinking about the incredible shortage of officials. And then I thought, could we marry the two and get veterans some things to do to get them to be a part of a team again, to get them in a leadership role again, to give them a mission again. And so um, as I went further up that particular trip to Oregon, I started thinking about, yeah, that could be cool. That would be great. We could maybe do this. I was pumping gas in Weed, Oregon. And I said, what would I name this organization? And it just came to me, battlefields to ball fields. And so what we do now is we give scholarships to veterans and now actives to become sports officials in their communities. We pay for everything. We pay for their uniforms, no matter what sport it is. It's not just football. We don't care what age. I mean, I've got we've got people on scholarship that fought in Vietnam, um, and 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 we've had some unbelievable stories of how they've connected kind of with life again. Um, we can't cure PTSD. We can't come close. But we have a sustained diversion that lets them get out and be a part of a team again and do this. And you know, when I started. We didn't know what kind of response to get. My sister and I sat in this very office that I'm sitting in right now. We didn't have a, a program. We were going to do everything by hand. And when the organization came online, we took the password off. The first week we got one application. We thought that's great. And then the next week we got a couple more. And then there was an article written in Nebraska. Our first guy was from Nebraska. And then that article got picked up by the Military Times. And then we got flooded with applications and we've scholarship now over a thousand veterans and in 38 states, the football is our primary, the, the number one sport that we have, but we have, we have track and field. We obviously have soccer, baseball, football, baseball is, you know, is a very expensive sport to start officiating. So we pay for everything, their local association dues. We do, and we do it for three years to get them kind of over the hump of getting used to the parents and the coaches and that type of thing. And it, Kelly, it, for all the blessings that I've had, for all the great things that I have done and for all the elbows that I've rubbed, as you said earlier, doesn't compare to this, doesn't compare to us. The stories that I have gotten from some of them whose lives are different now means everything in the world to me. And I think we all, we all in a way, 
want to leave with a legacy. And I think when you deny that, you're not really being truthful. And my legacy on Wikipedia before this, my legacy was that I was the one that got the officials, football officials, out of knickers into long pants. That's not a great legacy. <laughs> I mean, that's not something you need to be remembered by. And I'd like to think that when my time is done, that I've left officiating in a little bit better state through my little niche here, and that I've helped some of the people who give me the freedom to do what I do, that I've helped them get back on their feet. And that's what this organization is yeah. for, yeah. to help them get back on their feet and be a part of their community and do something that makes them feel good, just like it made me feel good when I went to East Palo Alto and started. Mike, your legacy is secure, my friend. More about yeah. No, it's, battlefields to ball fields. You'll find the website. It's there. Donate if you can. If you've got a friend who's a returning vet, send them an application. Mike, believe me, he throws a great golf tournament, raises a lot of money, brings in some great celebrities as well. But Mike, your your legacy is secure in officiating, in broadcasting, in philanthropy. And just as an all-time great resident of Sacramento and Stockton, my friend, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Well, I enjoyed it the most because I haven't been able to hear you for the entire football season, and that hasn't happened in 14 <laughs> years. So we'll look forward to, you know, Tom Brady being able to rub elbows with Mike Pereira next fall on Fox Sports. Always a pleasure, my friend. My best to Gail, and I, I hope your recovery continues and we see you on the golf course soon. Take care. Mike Pereira is our guest today on Bite Size Finance, and we are so appreciative for his time. Estate tax law. No one wants to think about what happens after you die, but estate tax law is about to change dramatically in this country. We'll talk about it with Ann Rosenthal, the woman who runs Drobny Law Offices here in Sacramento, Sunday, 3 o'clock on Bite Size Finance. Thanks for listening to Buy Sci-Fi, Bite Size Finance. If you liked what we served up today, please give us your rating, subscribe, and by all means, share. Music for the show, produced locally by Kitty O'Neill and her band, Skylar's Pool. Under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, this podcast is defined as an advertisement and includes an uncompensated testimonial by a cap trust client. Please be advised that clients' experiences as described in this podcast do not necessarily represent the experience of other clients. The discussions and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are subject to change without notice. This podcast is intended to be informational only. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, investment advice, or recommendation to invest in any securities. CapTrust Financial Advisors is an investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. CapTrust does not render legal advice. Thanks again for listening to Bite Size Finance. Kelly Brothers, host of this radio show, but also an advisor at Cap Trust. If you're looking for independent fiduciary advice, give us a call. We have offices in Sacramento, Roseville, and Folsom. CapTrust.com is where you'll find us.